You're listening to the Exhibitionist Podcast, hosted by Nicola Reader and brought to you by InspiringExhibitors.com and ProExtra, a wholly owned subsidiary of 12th Man Solutions Limited. Hi there and welcome to episode 21 of the Exhibitionist Podcast. I'm your host Nicola Reader, and as always thank you so much for joining us for this edition. We'll shortly be handing over to a conversation we had with Alison Jones, who is the Director of Practical Inspiration Publishing, and we'll be talking about the similarities between writing a business book and preparing for a trade show, and there are many more than you might first think. But before we get to that conversation, I just wanted to share with you some thoughts I'd had based on reading through the UFI and Explorey Global Visitor Insights Summary, which has just come out um, in recent weeks. So this is a piece of research that is done between UFI and Explorey, which gathers 13,000 responses from 135 countries. And those responses are taken from visitors, event organisers and exhibitors themselves and looks at a whole number of different elements that affect and impact the trade show industry. And that could be things like sustainability, technology, visitor satisfaction, um, and how they think that the events industry is going to evolve over the next few years. Now, the element that I was really interested in looking at was the visitor experience and what's driving satisfaction or otherwise in terms of visitor experience both from an organiser and from an exhibitor perspective. So one of the conclusions that the teams came up with from this research was that organisers are aware that the traditional model does need to evolve and that the needs of audiences are changing. And there's a number of ways in which those needs are changing, which the report looks into. But actually, I think overwhelmingly, one of the big conclusions is that they still need to provide that service. They need to provide that bridge between exhibitors and visitors, where visitors come with problems and exhibitors provide solutions. But perhaps it can be done in a more exciting way or a more engaging way as we go forward. And the report looked at kind of two areas. So one was around wow factors. So those events that are creating memorable experiences, creating all those things that we go home and talk about, about the amazing interactive game that you played in or the brilliant piece of tech that you saw. So those things that create memories that we then go and talk about, the stories. The other thing that is really important in terms of the visitor experience is the pain factors and how event organisers can take away some of those pain factors. And the pain factors are seen as things like parking, really lengthy registration processes, nowhere to sit down when you've been walking around all day. And actually what visitors are looking for and what will enhance their experience are really seamless, tailored experiences so that Visitors can spend the minimum amount of time there, but get the maximum return for it. So we've not heard visitors really talk about ROI from a trade show before, but maybe they're starting to look now about how can their experience be tailored specifically to them so they get the most out of that. So is that things like targeting uh, specific visitors with offers or exhibitors that they should be seeing, or sessions that they want to go to, or booking them seats at relevant sessions, those kind of things where they don't necessarily have to spend the time finding it out for themselves. So it could be more immersive, it could be keynotes and speeches and and, uh, seminar sessions need to have more audiovisual and more participation that feels like I'm part of that process, and just generally using tech to create a less stressful experience than they've had before. 
So that's kind of the way that the report certainly threw out the two things that event organisers and exhibitors want to be looking at. So creating those wow factors and making things less stressful. So whatever side of the fence or whatever role you play in terms of the events industry, maybe over the next couple of months, it's key to start thinking about how do you play to those areas that are now more meaningful to visitors. But actually, one of the key things that really drives satisfaction for visitors is being able to source the solutions that you're looking for from a trade show. And that's a real primary driver of satisfaction. And therefore, access to the appropriate number of quality exhibitors is a real key to achieving that. And I'm quoting from the report there where they're saying that that is the number one primary driver of satisfaction for a lot of visitors is to be able to meet those key suppliers who can meet their needs. In fact, when they look at the frustrations that visitors have with trade shows, the fifth biggest frustration is the quality of the exhibitors. Points one to four in terms of frustrations for visitors are a lot of the event logistic type things like seating and catering and parking. And we know that event organisers are working continually really hard to try and put those things right and make them as good as they possibly can. So if you're an exhibitor, you can be fairly sure that your organiser is working really hard on those logistics. But as an exhibitor, the fifth most frustrating thing for a visitor is the quality of the exhibitors and the lack of opportunity to really engage and find a solution to the problems that they've come to the show with that they're hoping to get resolved. One of the other interesting points that was turned up by the research was that organisers who invest time in the exhibitors and encourage them to talk about their new products and their solutions and how that solves the problems for visitors correlated with a much higher level of satisfaction than those organisers who purely invested more in the look and feel of the show. There was actually a lower satisfaction level for those event organisers who spent a lot of time and effort on look and feel, but less in their exhibitors. So what does that actually mean? Well, if you're an exhibitor and you're going to a show, one of the best things we can recommend is going along to your exhibitor's training day. They usually have a couple of suppliers there talking about how the event's going to be worked with uh, either the lead retrieval apps or if there's um, a shell scheme builder there who'll just help you understand exactly what you're going to get on the day. If you're going to a show and your exhibitor, uh, your event organiser isn't offering any kind of exhibitor day, then maybe it's time to question why, because this research would suggest that those who invest that time in helping their exhibitors have a better show for visitors and consequently a better show for exhibitors. So although it might feel like uh, there is an investment in time and money both for event organisers and for exhibitors to get along and have those exhibitor days and actually spend the time thinking about the plan for the show, it really is a great way to ensure that what you're delivering, both as an event manager or as an exhibitor, is invested in delivering what the visitor is looking for and really driving their satisfaction levels which means a more positive show for everybody which hopefully leads to more business for exhibitors and higher rebook rates in the future so it's kind of money and time well spent so what does it all mean i have thrown at you a load of numbers and figures from the report there and you might think they're fairly random we referred to it in last week's newsletter as well but it's a really interesting report and i think for me is summed up in one of the comments that they make in a conclusion, the danger that the current focus on new formats and technologies has could lead to organisers to overlook the important role of exhibitors in the visitor experience. So for me, it really underlines the fact that, yes, we're all looking for something different. We talk about festivalisation. 
we talk about bringing in new technologies, augmented reality, virtual reality, bringing in different learning environments. And all those things are great and they will add to an experience and they will drive satisfaction in the visitor experience. But overwhelmingly, visitors are going to trade shows to find solutions to problems that they have. And that's still the number one reason for why visitors take the time out and invest in going to a trade show. And that's really down to the exhibitors to nail their proposition early on, understand what solution it is that you provide, what problem it is that you're solving, and being able to articulate that really clearly and in in an engaging way for visitors. And that really, for me, is at the heart of all the trade shows. Everything else is great. And it wants to be as stress-free as possible, but actually it's that relationship between the exhibitor and the visitor that will keep people coming back for more in the future. So I thought it was a really great report. If you want any more information on that, please get in touch with me and I can point you in the direction of the Explorer or the UFI websites where you can download that and read through for yourself. So just on the topic of research, well, I remember we are very excited to announce that here at Pro Extra, we are also launching our own piece of research where we're going to be asking the whole of the industry across the globe what they think the next big trends are in the exhibition industry for the next sort of five years. We've already been getting in touch with quite a lot of our listeners to ask if you'd like to participate in that research and the white paper will be due out in Q1 2020. So if you're interested in your voice being heard, then please do get in touch with us in the usual ways and we will tell you how you can get involved. Now, on to today's conversation, and this is an interview that I loved recording. It is with Alison Jones of Practical Inspiration Publishing, who are incidentally the publishers who helped us launch The Exhibitionist earlier this year. And you might not think there are many similarities between writing a business book and planning for a trade show, but we were really surprised how that whole process of planning what you were going to write made you better at the day job but also helped us think about how we wanted to build the business. So I think this will be a really useful read for you or listen for you, even if you have absolutely no intention of ever writing a business book. So enjoy the conversation. So joining us this week on the latest edition of the Exhibitionist podcast, we are delighted to have Alison Jones. And Alison is Director of Practical Inspiration Publishing. So welcome to the show, Alison. Hello, Nicola. It's very good to be here. Thank you. Great to have you. And uh, just as we're doing the introductions, I will also say that Alison is the host of a fantastic podcast. If you're interested in business books, um, she hosts the Extraordinary Business Book Club podcast, which you can pick up. And we will tell you during the course of the show where you can find that. But um, it's one that we listen to regularly and a really great source of information for um, help and support on business books. So um, I'm sure we'll hear more of that as the conversation progresses, Alison. Absolutely. Yeah. It's nice to have a sort of two podcasters talking together, isn't it? It's a bit reflexive. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully for you, it feels you're a little bit um, less nervous than perhaps some of our other guests because you you are such um, a veteran of this and you know how it works. And hopefully you're a bit more relaxed than some of our, our other guests. I think I probably go into it expecting it to be fun in the way that most people don't because I, I love podcasting, you know, and it's, it's great fun being on the other side of the mic. I do think when you're this side of the mic, there's a little bit more pressure, I'll be honest with you, but, <laughs> but I still know it's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Well, before we get into too much of the detail around it and we explain to our listeners why we have uh, invited somebody from the publishing world onto what is an exhibitions podcast, just give us a little bit of background, Alison, about your work that you've, your career previously and what you're working on currently. 
So I've pretty much always been a publisher. I've always been in the book trade. I started off as an author and a bookseller simultaneously, which is a really good introduction to the world of books, the two pointy ends of it. And then um, I've been in publishing for 20, 28 years or something now. So traditional publishing, obviously, because that's pretty much all we had back then. So I worked with Chambers and Oxford University Press and Macmillan and so on. And in 2014, I left, I was Director of Innovation Strategy at Macmillan and Macmillan decided to move to London. I didn't want to move to London, so I decided I was going to leave publishing because it was broken and the whole buying content for money thing was clearly, you know, not, 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 not a very good business model in the information age. And so I retrained as a coach and that's what I was going to do as an executive, business coaching, mentoring, uh, facilitation, that sort of thing. Um, except that it turned out that all the people that I spoke to, or the business owners that I spoke to, my practice clients and so on, as soon as they found out that I was a publisher, all they wanted to talk to me about was publishing their books. So gradually over a course of a couple of years, really, I thought, this is really interesting. Actually, if we see books differently, if we see books as tools for businesses, then suddenly the value of them changes and perhaps you do have a really viable business model here. And that's why I created Practical Inspiration Publishing, which is a partnership publishing model. So we make books really work for the businesses behind them. And it's really interesting to hear you explain a publishing model that works like that, because we often talk with a lot of our clients about how exhibitions are just one marketing tactic in what should be a really aligned and consistent marketing strategy. So tell us a little bit more about why you think books play a really important role as a marketing tactic for any business. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's a very, very parallel um, argument, really, in that if you write a book about your expertise, in a sense, it becomes the, the hub, it becomes the, the fullest expression of how you do your stuff in the world, you know, what it is you believe, what's your distinctive intellectual property. And you can go into that in incredible detail. You can tell the stories, you can engage the reader in, in a way that very few short form uh, or, you know, could a quick fire real time um, contacts with the reader can do. But on its own, it's a bit so what? <laughs> so there has to be a, a platform, um, a, a suite, an ecosystem around the book that says, here's the fullest expression of who I am and what I do in the world and why it matters. And having read this, having got to know me and like me and trust me and get what I'm about, here's how you can go and engage with me. So it's like going to an exhibition, but not having the business behind to back it up, not being able to fulfill orders. You know, <laughs> you have to be able to deliver on the promise of the book. And then when you have the book as, I mean, obviously Amazon itself is a great discoverability tool. People go to Amazon to look for answers to things and it's one of the you know, biggest search engines on the web. So having your book there, being the author, which um, obviously is very closely related semantically to authority, why wouldn't somebody seek you out if you've written the book on the topic that they're grappling with and it made sense to you and, and then you've, they, you know, you, they can engage with you one-to-one -one in a group program, come into your business, then that's when it becomes really, really powerful. Absolutely. And I think the one thing in writing our book that the kind of one of the light bulb moments was around, although you are the authority, um, yours isn't the only voice and it's just your expression of your part of the conversation. And it's great that you're actually laying your opinion out there and asking for debate with other experts because that increases your influence and it gets you talking to people who otherwise wouldn't even know who you are. So I think it can be a little bit frightening when you start that process thinking, well, who on earth is going to believe me? What have I got to say? But actually, it's just your take on your bit of the conversation. 
Absolutely. And, and I think that takes quite a lot of the pressure off you as an author when you kind of get that this doesn't have to be the last word in whatever topic you're writing about, because no book ever is. There's stuff that's gone before you. You know, we call those competing titles, but that's it's a bit misleading, really. They're, they're just, it's the conversation in the field. So you just have to be really clear about how you're moving that conversation on, what you're bringing to it that's distinctive. And of course, if you sit down and think about your own expertise, your experience, you know, the, the quirky things that, that you have the, the way that you are, you know, you guys have brought your personality into it fantastically, then, then you can, you don't have to be saying something that nobody has ever said before. There are very few ideas that nobody's ever had before. <laughs> it's about the way that you express them, the way that you combine them, the way you build on them and bring your own unique take to them. And I think as, a, as an author, that's, that's really uh, good to remember because otherwise you can feel completely crushed by, by the sort of the, the responsibility of filling that blank page with completely original, yeah. never to be improved upon prose. It's, you know, it ain't going to happen. You're just going to sit there with a blank page for a very long time. It's such a great observation. I think one of the the big things we struggled with when we thought about writing a book because um, we haven't asked Alison onto the show today because she's any old publisher. She's the publisher that we worked with and gave us such amazing advice on actually building our whole business. So as much as it was about how do you bring, bring this book out of you and how do you create this piece of work, it was about how do we build the other things that go around um, that book as well. So I mean, I think like that's a podcast. Just like a podcast. Yeah, we wouldn't even have done that had we not been in there working with yourself. So it's just brilliant from that point of view but one of the things when we're working with clients um, of our own that we hear a lot of the time is oh my god I, I never thought there was so much to exhibitions which made us think actually we probably have got a book's worth of content here so when we first came to you and said we've got this idea about writing a book about exhibitions what, what was the first thing that you thought well I think the first thing was you said the title and I was like oh that is genius <laughs> We still love The Exhibitionist as a title so much. It's the most fun title ever. I do often think that people Googling it might get a little bit disappointed when they realise what it's about, but hey, that's their problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, to be honest with you, as somebody who's been to trade shows quite a lot, you know, in publishing, I, I recognised the problem pretty much immediately. Um, and I have to hold my hand up and say, you know, I have learned a huge amount from this book and I do, do it rather differently now. But what what I love about your book is that it's it's niche in a sense. It, it's trade shows. It's very, very specific. It's solving a very particular problem. But in another way, it's incredibly broad because every industry has its trade shows and every trade show has the same issues and, and opportunities and challenges associated with it. So I just thought, oh, that's smart, mainly. And I think that's the thing where we just hope to give inspiration wherever your trade show and your industry is at. So there'll be something in those, however many pages it is, 80 odd thousand words that kind of, you will just go, that's the bit that's for me. That's the bit I just need to crack. And if I can do that, we're not saying, you know, boil the ocean and do absolutely everything. We're saying pick the two or three things that really work for you. I think. I love the phrase boil the ocean. That's ace. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. One of my favorites that gets used quite a lot in this business. So. <laughs> Yeah, we're not boiling the ocean here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just take it a little piece at a time or eat the elephant. Is that the other one? I think That's the other one. Only one way to eat an elephant. Yep. One bite at a time. <laughs> so you in your time have been to several book fairs, I, I guess mainly are the sorts of exhibitions that you've gone to. And just tell us kind of what your general reflections were on trade shows, kind of before you started working with us on the book, both as an exhibitor and as a visitor. Yeah, and it's very interesting because, of course, my 
uh, trade show experience changed radically when I stopped being a corporate employee and became a business owner. So as you know, for Oxford University Press, for, um, for Macmillan, I just used to sort of trot along and, and I'd have meetings scheduled for me by my assistant and I'd turn up and there'd be this beautiful stand there, you know, the envy of the fair and, and there'd be my table and my guests would come along and, and I'd go in the back room and hang my coat up and there would be sandwiches and, you know, Barocca. And <laughs> Baroque is quite important in trade shows, actually. I yeah. think that's what my, my hot tips. <laughs> and then suddenly I was my own company and I was organizing everything. And I suddenly saw it from a very, very different perspective. And it was all about the logistics, which yeah, of course hadn't been before. It was all about remembering to have the, um, the sticker to send the box back to the warehouse afterwards, you know, stupid things like that that I just that I had to think of. But also massively, massively more enjoyable because instead of just rocking up and, and seeing people and kind of going home again, I felt part of that whole kind of trade show community. You know, you'd be there setting up your stand when there's just the, the guys, you know, checking the lights and stuff. <laughs> and, and, and then at the end, so I, I feel like my experience of trade shows is much more raw, uh, but satisfying <laughs> these days, which is, which is really fun, <laughs> but very, very different. Yeah. It, it's a really interesting point actually, because we've exhibited at both sides of that spectrum as well as, as on behalf of big corporates and with um, SMEs. And you do just get such a different perspective when you're working with the kind of owner operators and, and the corporate businesses and um, the kind of advice that we give and the consultancy, although it's all on a similar theme, I think when you are a business owner and you're there and you're meeting people and there's that feedback and you know people are either saying good things about the product or service you're selling or giving you some not so positive feedback, it's quite hard to take. Whereas if you're just kind of there on behalf of your employer, then everything seems a bit easy. Although I've never been to a trade show where there were sandwiches in the back room before. I've totally oh. missed out on that in 15 years of exhibiting. So Yeah, no, I, I, it was a horrible moment when I realised that, you know, there wasn't, A, there wasn't a back room and B, there weren't sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, and you tried to throw a cereal bar down behind, uh, behind the scenes so that nobody That's could right. see you on your stands. <laughs> it's, it's kind of ironic that the, the, the days in which you have the most intense schedule and you need to eat the most nutritionally dense food are the days in which you eat nothing that isn't beige for like yeah. three days straight. It's terrible. <laughs> Absolutely. And you never want to see bacon and eggs again because you sort of think, <laughs> if I really load up in the morning, that'll last me for the day. And you end up eating loads. And then by 11 o'clock, you're even more hungry than if you'd had nothing. So it just <laughs> doesn't work. So It doesn't work. You should have a nice avocado, but you, know, just, you just don't feel like that in the middle of an exhibition. <laughs> yeah, you don't get many avocados at Premier Inns, do you? Which is an owner-occupier, you're always in the budget hotel as well. <laughs> well, interestingly, I have swapped to Airbnb. Ah, okay. Which I really like because it gives me uh, a, a real retreat. So I like actually just hire a B&B, which is, you know, when you go to Frankfurt, certainly Frankfurt Book Fair, the, the hotels all triple their prices. You know? yeah, <laughs> so it's, I actually really like that. I know. And again, this is something different when you're going to an exhibition on your own is that you have to grapple with the city's transport structure. And look, it turns out actually Frankfurt's got a really, really simple, efficient, of course, transport structure. Of course it has, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you can get on a tram and be out of the city centre and in a, in a lovely sort of um, suburban neighbourhood and, and have a nice Airbnb and really feel like you've got away and you can relax in, in a quiet space um, for much cheaper than, than a city centre hotel. So that's my other hot tip. Ah, well, and you haven't had any horror stories yet of finding dead bodies in cellars or any of the other horrible things that we hear coming out from some Airbnb places. I'm guessing it's all gone fairly smoothly. It has, but thank you for that. <laughs> I'm sure it's not in the criteria for like selecting which Airbnb you want your dead body in the cellar, but I think there, were, there was some story about somebody who'd found one. So I'm glad that wow. wasn't you. <laughs> no, that wasn't me. Oh, no, I'd probably be back at the Premier Inn if, it was that, if that was yeah. me. <laughs> 
So in your experience of exhibiting then, when you now you are as your owner operator, you're there on your own. Did you change anything at your latest events having read the exhibitionist? What what were the things that mainly you thought, oh my God, I'm kind of doing that wrong or I could get that better, much better? Yeah, it, it's a little bit embarrassing, I'll be honest with you, but I now set, set goals. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, that's a great start. <laughs> and, and it was one of those, of course, moments, you know, <laughs> because you just do it. You know, if you, if you are a credible publisher, you, you go along to London Book Fair, you go along to Frankfurt. When you've been in the industry forever, Honestly, it's as much about just catching up with people. You know, I, I just love going to the book fairs because it's the only time I see lots and lots of people who have been, you know, friends with the industry for ages and we have a great time. And I guess I had never articulated that to myself, but I, honestly, it was partly that. It was just, of course, I'll go to the book fair because I always do and it's a great time and, you know, you get to connect with people. And just, yes, working through the exhibitionist made me think, yeah, actually, I need some smart goals here. <laughs> I need to really yeah. focus on, on what it is I need to achieve. Uh, it's a little bit different publishing because obviously you, you don't have the, the punters coming in who are going to buy the books. You're not selling a service in that way. It's much more about relationship building, creating new partnerships. You are selling rights to books. That's the big sales angle. So <clears throat> I just sort of built my... Um, my goals around those for, for Frankfurt this time. So I know who I want to reach out to. I've prepped, um, you know, sort of done my research on, on the key uh, foreign publishers that we want to contact for selling rights to the books. My rights team will handle most of this, but I just want to be there because I'll be at the meeting so I can prepare a really good pitch for them. Um, we're looking at other international sales partners and we're looking at some key strategic partners, particularly for audio. So those are the big things that I'm looking at at the moment. It's interesting to hear you talk about smart objectives because it is the whole heartbeat of where the rest of your exhibition comes from. So if you can get that right, it just helps in so many other areas of everything you do from there and on, from your stand design to the people you're going to invite. How difficult was it as somebody who'd not done it before to actually sit down and nail those objectives? Because people just say to us, it's too hard, you can't do it. How difficult did you find that process? I didn't find it that hard, honestly. It just needs a bit of... I mean, you know what you want to achieve in your business. You know what your strategic goals are. You know where you need to focus on building the relationships. It's just a matter of pulling that together with your opportunities that you know are going to be there at the fair and doing it. I don't, I don't think it's that hard. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're not. And I think what we sometimes find with people is that the business in general doesn't have objectives. So therefore, yeah. you can't kind of pull them back to an exhibition. So it's, you know, particularly if it's small entrepreneurs or startups or they've got this great idea and this passion and this enthusiasm. But when it gets to, okay, what is the scalability of this business? Who, how big do you want it to be? How quickly can you get to market with your product? That all gets lost in the excitement. And actually, it's not just objectives for the show. It's objectives for the next three years that people don't have. So, uh, Well, interestingly, writing a book is not dissimilar again, because when people really struggle, they have, they have an idea. I want to write a book about this. and I've got the title. But unless you've got a really clear methodology uh, you know some really solid intellectual property behind what is your distinctive approach and 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 also you've got some clear senses about who it is you want to work with who you're writing for you know when it comes down to that it's really hard to translate that into book scale as you yeah. know i mean it's it's a big job it's not like just dashing off a blog piece it's it's working at scale you've got to have the scaffolding there you've got to be absolutely clear on who you're writing for what problem you're solving all that kind of stuff and if all you've got is a kind of shiny idea it does not translate well into a book. Yeah. And the analogy with exhibitions is so, so similar because kind of that's what we'd say about, you know, oh, we just we want to go to our industry trade show because it's our industry trade show. That's brilliant. But if you've never sat down and thought about what problem do we solve? Who do we want to talk to? 
is our solution the best one on the market? And if not, is it is it cheaper than somebody else's? Does that make it, you know, why it's the best proposition? So it's all exactly the same process. But interestingly, I am a frustrated novelist and have about five novels that I've started been writing for the last 15 years and never got finished. And yet we managed to write The Exhibitionist in eight weeks, probably, because having worked with you on the, the business boot camp, which was just this brilliant process of actually thinking about what problems your business solves, not just what your book solves, and how you, you format that in a way that's consistent and easy to understand and talks to whether it's a, a large corporate, whether it's an SME, whether it's an entrepreneur. You know, it's, that for us was, was just, and you're so right in terms of you need more than a title and an idea. You've got to be really, really clear about who it is in your proposition because if you haven't got that how do you as a publisher go and sell it to that book to other people if if the writer themselves isn't clear about what problem they're solving so exactly and and that's what often you can sort of get that I mean you just say t- tell me in, in no one 30 seconds what's your book about <laughs> and some people just go yep. <laughs> <laughs> and others can tell you and you're like, yeah right you've, you've nailed it now now we can write the book yeah. yeah absolutely and it is massively addictive we are on to um, plan number two for our next book and it is like it's excellent like when you've got a building projects at home and you do one renovation and you, then you finish it and you can't you hate it all the time you're doing it as soon as it's finished and shiny you're like right let's knock another world down and start again <laughs> books are completely the same the day you get one in your hands of your own you're just like right let's get on to the next one now so that's so exciting and very funny <laughs> yeah yeah like tattoos I imagine yes yeah absolutely <laughs> Absolutely so. So with all this newfound knowledge that you had about exhibitions and your renewed enthusiasm, when you've walked around trade shows now, what really frustrates you about other exhibitors that that you see and, and kind of behaviours that you think, oh God, if only you read the exhibitionist, you could do this better. <laughs> do you know, one, one of the real kind of light bulb moments for me was, you know, how you start conversations because everybody everywhere goes, hi, would you like a pen? <laughs> That's what I was used to do too. And I just, I think that, you know, the, the, the opening, the spotting an, an opening and asking an open question. So not, hi, how are you? Fine. And they've moved on. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, I see you've got some stuff from Buddha. What did you think of their product? You know, bringing people in, connecting with where they're at. And, and also they, those are kind of broader, you know, what, what is it you're looking for today? I, I just think, I mean, again, it's so obvious once you hear it, but I just never thought about that. And I think that a lot of people, I mean, I'm clearly no introvert, you know, I, I don't have problem <laughs> chatting to people, but it is, there is an awkwardness around that. I, you know, are, are you catching people's eye? Are you going to stop? Are, you, are they looking furtive? Do they want to talk to me? I don't know. And so that just that really clear, this is how you can begin. This is how you can classify quite quickly the types yes. of people by their behaviour. <laughs> I think that's really interesting as well. So yeah, now every time I sort of now hear someone say, hi, how are you? I'm like, <laughs> amateur. <laughs> Brilliant. I love that. <laughs> so when we're talking about books, um, you talk about how uh, writers can bring stories to life and bring their experience to life in a way that's meaningful and cuts through and solves a problem um, for their audience. How do you think that kind of storytelling can be brought into exhibitions? Is there a place, it's such a phrase that gets thrown around for businesses these days, but do you think it's got a place in exhibitions and how can people use that storytelling more creatively? Oh, that's a really good question. And you're right, storytelling is one of those words, it's kind of overused, but it's it's overused for a reason, which is that it does really matter. And of course, you can tell people as many facts and stats as you like, they're kind of going to glaze over quite quickly because that isn't how we're wired. Whereas when you hook me in with a story, 
then I'm interested because that's how I'm wired to connect with people. That's how I make sense of the world. I think one really key thing is that when you're thinking about stories in the business context, most businesses automatically put themselves in the role of the hero. So they'll tell their business's story. Um, if you think about, and this is, a, this is Donald Miller, I don't know if you've read How to Build a Story Brand, but this is one of the great sort of insights from his book, is that actually the customer is the hero. Those people sort of wandering the floors, looking for solutions in their minds, they're the hero of their stories and they're not looking for other heroes. <laughs> Nobody wants to compete in, you know, yes. in who's yes. the hero in this story. So your job as a business, as a solution provider is to position yourself as the guide. So you're not Luke Skywalker, you're Yoda. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the thing that the guide does is provide um, empathy and a plan. And either of those two is kind of off-putting without the other. So if all you can do is empathise with the person's problem, you know, that's lovely, but you can't help them. <laughs> so it's no good. Um, if you've got a plan, but you don't really understand them or feel their pain or they don't sense that you care about them at all, then they don't particularly like you. And we don't do business with people we don't like. But if you can show that you empathise, you know, if you've been in that situation, if you show that, you know, you can, you can, you can bring in other people's stories. So, you know, kind of social proof of the kind of thing that you can do for people. Um, and if you can present your plan really clearly, you know, we can help you do this. And if you're understanding what that hero's after, you know, what's, what's their quest <laughs> and what are they fearing and, and what's the prize for them. And if you can speak to that and show that you have a plan that can help them do that, then you're using the kind of deepest um, architecture of storytelling in a really, really powerful way. I absolutely love that analogy. And I think um, as a framework for exhibitions, it's probably not an angle we've looked at before. And it's, it's really, really interesting because immediately it makes me start to think of graphics panels behind um, where people are standing you know, around the exhibition stands tend to be very features led. So our new software has this, that, and it and just talks about right. the things that it delivers. Whereas actually, if you have um, I don't know, a comment or a testimonial from a customer who you've helped and solved their pain, perhaps to a visitor that becomes much more powerful than just we've got the latest processor and it's the fastest and it's the quickest. It's yeah. that real story of this is Maureen and she can now see her children for six hours more a week because she used our software. And somebody yeah. who's not getting home to see their family suddenly thinks that that's what I need. I didn't maybe even know that I needed it. But if that gives me time back with my family, that's or not depending on who your family is, but you know, that kind of... <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's that you know showing exactly as you said the social proof what you've done for the people um, and helping people translate that into benefits rather than just features because features yeah they're all very well but actually it's the benefits that you're buying isn't it it's what it enables what it, what it makes possible for you the person it enables you to become in your own yeah. eyes or in the eyes of others you know that's what you care about so I've seen some really interesting stands where they have um laptops with videos on loop of you know interviews with people of chat and, and again that's it was such visual people if you've got a whole panel of text behind you very few people are gonna really you know their eyes just yeah. slide off it because they're being bombarded by information all the time but we respond to people pictures of people really really clearly and we respond to arresting images and we respond to people's voices and kind of human stories and contacts. So if you can work those elements, I'm not saying I do this at all very well, actually, but if you can work those elements in, then brilliant. And actually one of the things that I do do at trade shows, always have, and I do much more now as well, is is use the experience of being there, tell the story. So for example, at London Book Fair last year, we had an author who came and actually gave me her manuscript in person. Wow. And we got pictures of that and we were sort of sharing it on social media. That was a real moment, you know. So building those kind of moments in is, is really uh, lovely if you can do it. 
Yeah. And those um, kind of conversations about how your stand looks, believe me, relating it back to books, writing the books these a bit, choosing a cover, that's really, really hard because it's that same kind of how do you get, how do you ever know if you've got the right book cover? How do you, what's the message you want to convey? What sort of style, what kind of tone? It just sets so much for the rest of the book and it's, it's just as hard as, as exhibition graphics but we we grappled with it Alison will know she was tearing her hair out for weeks of, you know the 73 different versions of the cover we got before we landed on the one we liked it, and also because you're, it's it's not an abstract thing you know there's something you can illustrate there but there's how, which aspect do you pick up you know and it is it's really hard and of course the thing with book covers is you can be in a publishing meeting with six people and there'll be seven different opinions on the cover you know and you never know until it's gone out there and been a raging success and everybody goes oh we picked the right cover yeah well you know <laughs> we did but it could so easily have gone a different way it's yeah. it's it's a black art yeah absolutely and we say exactly the same thing with exhibition stand design it's so opinion based everybody will have a different opinion on what your stand should look like which is why if you get your smart objectives right in the first place, whenever there's an argument, you just come back to, yes. does this help us to deliver what we're trying to achieve? And if it doesn't, it's not a good part of your stand design. So Yeah. And, and same with the book cover. Is this going to appeal to the people that we identified as the core primary readers of this book? And that gives you a kind of touchstone to keep coming back to. Brilliant. So, so much useful information in there and, and brilliant to get your insights on the world of exhibitions in general. One thing I'm quite interested in is um, you were one of our very early readers of the book. Obviously, there's, there's a few people now who have um, been starting to read it. But has it changed how you behave as a visitor to trade shows? Now you maybe have a better understanding of how hard it is for exhibitors. Oh, that's really interesting. I don't I don't really go to trade shows as a visitor. I only go to London Book Fair and Frankfurt as an exhibitor. Um, and I haven't gone as a visitor since I've read the book, interestingly. I think it, well, I mean, I know it definitely would. I, I, A, I had much more compassion for people now because (laughs) as an exhibitor, also having read the book, I know more of what goes on there. Um, I I think I recognised a lot of the behaviours that you describe in the book. Um, A lot of the, you know, particularly the the front of house, you know, the the people who've picked poorly, the teams that need to go there, who aren't particularly interested in engaging with people, you know, who don't really know why they're there. They just got given this job, you know. Um, So I think I probably recognise from experience a lot of what you talked about. What I must do is go along as a visitor and just see those behaviours and notice it's like reading books, isn't it? You, one of the things that makes you a better writer is reading widely. Yeah. So I should probably make a point of going to a couple of shows before I do my next um, exhibition and just doing a bit of competitive research and getting some ideas and, and maybe kind of bringing something fresh uh, to my own practice. It's a good yeah. thought. Yeah, good, good view. And the one thing we'd say um, on that is go to something that is completely alien to you. So yeah. go into like an, an energy or the emergency services show or, you know, any of those that are completely outside of your general sort of knowledge bank because you're not them getting swayed by things that you already know or if you know going to a gardening show if you're interested in gardening well you'll just see what you want to see so go some to something that's completely alien to you and you'll probably surprise yourself so that is a, that is awesome advice I'm so gonna do that <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna go and hang out with the cool kids at the energy show so <laughs> I think I'd, I'd quite fancy to go to one of those robotics shows I bet they're ace um, I bet you get loads of really good freebies from those as well <laughs> yeah there's a, a good AI and robotics show coming up in London so we will send you the details for that oh all right that does sound really fun <laughs> So thank you so much for joining us today. I have talked a lot about um, the work we did with you and how brilliant we thought that process was. So if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, Alison, and maybe explore opportunities for writing a book, what is the best way for them to find you? 
So alisonjones.com uh, is sort of central hub and you can find links there to the proposal challenge which I which is where you started isn't it the 10-day business book proposal challenge uh you can only join the boot camp as a graduate of that so that, that's the starting point that's happening again in September 2019 and you can also look at our publishing packages there partnership publishing packages with practical inspiration publishing uh but you can also check out the extraordinary business book club at extraordinarybusinessbooks.com that's the show notes and the links to the episodes it's also obviously available to subscribe on iTunes and anywhere else and if you like it please leave a review <laughs> and uh, yeah that's probably the best too I think and um, at books to the sky on twitter fantastic and putting you slightly on the spot here for the last question of the show but if you could recommend one business book to our audience obviously apart from the exhibitionist <laughs> is there anything that you've read that you just think oh, I was really surprised by that and that was brilliant and this is a, a great book to read well, d- billions, yes. I mean, I'm doing. <laughs> that's just mean. How long have we got now? Um, I, I've just released the Extraordinary Business Book Club summer reading list, and I finished last week the first one on that, which was Priya Parker's The Art of Gathering: Why We Meet and No, How We Meet and Why It Matters. And it's wonderful, and actually not bad at all for anybody who's planning an event or a conference or exhibition. Very much about curating people's experience and how you have such a a, a responsibility as the convener to uh, to set rules, to set boundaries, to bring people over the threshold, and, and and then kind of also manage them leaving the threshold as well. Really, really good book, beautifully written with lots and lots of stories. Um, I've got to do another one as well. Sorry, I just finished <laughs> Range by David Epstein, and you know we were just talking about going to somewhere completely different. Yeah. His argument is that that the narrower your specialism, the more you will benefit from broadening your expertise and bringing in ideas from from completely other skill sets. He tells this wonderful story about um, an innovation kind of crowdsourcing hub and um, he was trying to get some biochemists at Harvard, uh, you know, to put their problems up and they were just be ridiculous. We have the best brains in biochemistry working on this, you know, molecular biochemistry, tiny, tiny sort of little thing. And we've been working on it for years. How on earth, if we can't solve it, how can anybody else? Uh, and of course, within a couple of months, they had a solution. And, um, and when Harvard Business School did some research on that platform, they found that the further you were away from the, the subject uh, as, a, as an expert, the more likely you were to solve that problem. Wow. <laughs> it's just brilliant. It's such a good book. Well, interestingly, um, just on that topic of kind of very different uh, uh, audiences, we were watching a video this morning of Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden, who's now a very good public speaker. He's amazing. Of course, yeah. And a, a great entrepreneur and businessman. And he was saying exactly the same thing in one of his speeches about, you know, there's a software company and they had a problem with software. So who did they go and ask for the, the solutions to it? They went and spoke to a poet and a poet solved it for them because he's yeah. a completely different creative mindset. Yeah. And this is why we still need the humanities. <laughs> getting up on my getting up my funding soapbox here. Yes. That whole kind of emphasis in, in and particularly in higher education, we must we must know exactly what problem we're solving. We must have uh, evidence of impact immediately. The best solutions, the most innovative things that we've created, often we had no idea what we we're going to use them for when they were created. They were, they were just done out of uh, intellectual curiosity and, and we need to keep space for that. Brilliant. Uh, absolutely, Alison, we could speak all day, but I know <laughs> you are such a busy lady. We are going to let you uh, get off, but fascinating podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest and uh, we look forward to working with you again in the future. Fantastic. Wonderful to talk to you, Nicola. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers. Thank you. So thanks very much there to Alison for her contribution to today's show. I am sure you got stacks of value out of that session. And if you have been inspired to go away and write your own business book and want any hints or tips or advice or just some inspiration to keep going, 
um, then please do get in touch and we can have a chat with you about some of our experiences. Our journey started when we were asked to join the 10-day business book proposal challenge with Alison back in May last year. She's actually launching uh, another one of those from the 9th of September, which I think she referred to during the conversation. It's a really good, simple way to start thinking about whether your book has any legs, whether it could go anywhere, who your audience is going to be, who might buy it, etc. Um, so that's the 10-day business book proposal challenge kicking off on the 9th of September. If you want more details, check out Alison's contact details or do get in touch with ourselves. Coming up on the next episode of the Exhibitionist podcast, we have a legend in the exhibitions industry where we speak to Mr. Andrew Reid himself, uh, MD of events and exhibitions at William Reid. And he will be sharing a couple of bits of insight with us around the time he needed to recruit a couple of live tigers or lions was it for his event and also why William Reed might be taking over the running of the Oscars newsflash that might be new news to some of his team so that's a great episode we've got coming up in a couple of weeks in the meantime you can get in touch with us in all the usual ways so we have www.inspiringexhibitors.com where you can check out our latest blogs and sign up for the newsletter and of course, you can order your copy of The Exhibitionist, the book, via our website or via Amazon. Thank you so much for listening today. If you're off on your holidays, we hope you have a great and relaxing time and happy exhibitioning. Hop over now to inspiringexhibitors.com to subscribe to our newsletters, blogs and future podcasts, keeping you up to date with industry insight. While there, you can also find out more about our new book, the Exhibitionist, inspiring trade show excellence once again. Thank you for listening.